Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Unruffled ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Most of us think a lot about our family's future. That's part of the job, right? And I'm sure you've heard that annoying piece of advice that says, don't buy that latte, invest instead. Well, we went for it a couple of years ago and opened a Robinhood account. To be honest, my husband wanted to cut down on coffee anyway. But you know what? Whatever your goals are, Robinhood could help your family build a better financial future. Investing a small amount now could make a big difference 30 years down the road. It's nice to be in the driver's seat and have autonomy when making investments, which is easy to do with Robinhood. Download the Robinhood app or visit Robinhood.com to start building a better financial future. That's Robinhood.com or download the app now to learn more. Of course, investing involves risk and loss of principal is possible. Returns are not guaranteed. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker-dealer. There's nothing like being totally engrossed in a good mystery or thriller. Audible has thousands of immersive audiobook titles to spark your imagination and get your heart thumping. Since it's summer, you might want to check out The Vacation Rental. Very well told and very unsettling. You won't want to turn it off. And since this is a parenting podcast, I should also mention that audiobooks are a wonderfully enriching experience for children because they aren't passive entertainment like other kids' media. They engage your child's imagination and can nurture both listening and language skills. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. That's audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 today. Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today, I have a very special guest joining me. Her name is Lauren Brantz. She's a best-selling board book author and illustrator for children, including her latest, which is It Had to Be You. She writes for a popular online website, and she creates comics. She also shares uniquely uplifting posts on social media about her journey as a mom of a daughter with disabilities. I'm so touched by the beautiful faith that she has in her daughter. I mean, she embodies everything that I admire and aspire to as a parent and a person. And I know you'll be inspired by her too. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, as you know, I discovered you through the interview that you did with Humans of New York, which was so inspiring and I don't know, it felt like something that every parent should read and be aware of because of the attitude that you've developed about being a parent and your child and your relationship with her. So I was hoping that maybe you could start with sharing some of your story and whatever feels important to share with another parent that might be experiencing something similar. Yeah. um, I like to preface anything I say with, I think a lot of parents with children with disabilities will relate to this, but uh, the way I feel all the time is like my life is so chaotic. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you're just a little, like you could fall over any moment. I kind of feel like that all the time. So <laughs> please excuse um, anything I say that's a little off because I'm just like, you know, um, almost in survival mode. Well, that's hard in itself. It is. It's a lot, but it has its benefits too. 
So a little bit about Dahlia and how she came to be. I think I said in the interview with Humans in New York, I knew something wasn't right, right away. I kind of looked down and I was like, I think my daughter has some kind of syndrome. (laughs) And everyone thought I was crazy. They were just like, oh, she was born a little early. So that's what preemies look like and yada, yada. And the pediatricians were like, she looks fine to us. But at the hospital, she couldn't, she couldn't latch on. And I had so many ideas about what parenthood would be like and what kind of parent I would be. You know, I was, I was hell bent on breastfeeding. Like I was going to breastfeed. My baby's going to have breast milk. That's the plan. And even at the hospital, you know, there's a a point where they're like, oh, you know, you're not making that much yet. We usually give the baby a little formula. And I was like, okay, I guess that's okay. And then like fast forward a few months later, you know, she wouldn't drink anything. And I was trying to, I put like maple syrup in formula because I was like, (laughs) I will do anything for you to get some sort of nutrition in your body. So it's amazing the stories we tell ourselves of how things are going to be and then how things can actually be when you experience them. Yeah. And I mean, there is grief in all of those things. You know, even if we don't have the kind of birth we want to have, there's a sense of loss in those experiences. Yeah, there's an expectation and And then there's a reality. So we got home and a couple days later, I was, you know, she was having trouble feeding and I was like, oh, I'm going to feed her in the middle of the night by myself. My husband had been helping. I'd been pumping. And um, she like choked on the milk and turned blue, like actually choked on it. And then I felt like I, I knew something was really wrong, but we were also like in that newborn phase and I had never had a child before. So I was like, I know it's supposed to be hard. Maybe it's just really hard. (laughs) And so we started asking the pediatrician, then having, you know, breastfeeding consultants come over and the whole thing. And um, as time progressed, noticing that like she wasn't really holding her head up or this or that. And like a lot of this, like I, I didn't know exactly what to expect. I hadn't even really held a baby till I had my daughter. I thought she felt floppy, but I brought her to pediatrician. And I was like, I think she feels floppy, but I haven't really held many babies. And he was like, oh, she's just premature. So a lot of it was chalked up to her being premature at first. Eventually, our newborn phase was so difficult because she really couldn't drink. And I was buying like every bottle and thing on the market to try to get her to have anything. And eventually I figured out I could get her to eat a little bit if she was half asleep in my arm. So I was like rocking her 24 seven drip feeding one ounce an hour. And there like wasn't a lot of time in between to figure out what was actually going on. My husband was really like on the hunt for what was happening. And um, we were hiring women to help at night because we were so tired and delirious. And this night nurse was like, this isn't parenthood, this is torture. And I was, <laughs> I was like, excuse me. And it, it broke my heart into a million pieces. I really started to realize something was definitely wrong. There was another night nurse that was so nice. And she was like, you need to take your daughter to the hospital right now. Just tell them she's having seizures and then they'll take you in. Because otherwise, if you go on with think something's wrong, but I don't know, you have always end up leaving with no answers. So she was like, just tell them she had a seizure so that they actually look at her. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess we like really need to do this. So we did go to a specialist and they ended up sending us around town to different doctors. And we ended up at a geneticist. Stop me at any time. I feel like I'm just talking on and on. No, it's a no, really no. long story. No, not at all. Please just let go of that thought. This is absolutely important and okay. like, you know helpful for parents to hear. So yeah. 
Yeah. So I think she was like three and a half months when we went to geneticist. And before this even happened, we already had started early intervention because the feeding and everything was so hard. And the specialist came and was like, oh yeah, there's definitely something very wrong. And we are like, okay, <laughs> um, thanks. What do we do? So the geneticist very quickly discovered she has trisomy 14 mosaicism. And this is something that there's only 50 cases of in the world. There aren't really any answers. And I'll never forget uh, my husband, he left work early and he was, he was like crying. He's like, I have to talk to you. We just found out Dolly has trisomy 14 mosaicism. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, is it fatal? Like what, you know, you're crying. And he was like, not that I know of. And I was like, is she in immediate danger? And he's like, no. And I was like, okay, all right, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. (laughs) Like everything's okay. She just has this diagnosis and we, we have to look into it. And, you know, it's kind of mysterious. And the thing about when your child is diagnosed is something that no one's ever really seen much of before. There's really no roadmap for it. So, you know, we went on these like deep dives. My husband especially went crazy finding every person ever diagnosed on the planet. And he actually even like, he got a friend's doctor credentials to get into medical journals so he could read like real medical journals about it and everything. So he got really deep in all of that. Meanwhile, I was just trying to keep our head above water, keep Dahlia alive, do all her therapies with her. And I do attribute a lot of my sort of, I guess, kind of like a blase reaction to everything. My dad has Tourette syndrome and he's a surgeon. He's a doctor. He's one of only two surgeons ever to have Tourette syndrome. And so in my house, big diagnoses and syndromes and stuff were never really, it's like, oh yeah, he he has Tourette syndrome, but I never really thought of it as a bad thing. And I figured, well, you know, a diagnosis, a diagnosis, you just have to like, see how the kid actually is. And I just like eternally optimistic. And we were very lucky in that Dolly was an early smiler. (laughs) So even though she didn't crawl or lift her head or clap or talk or this or that, she was smiling. And I just felt like, you know, I don't really care if she meets these milestones as long as she's happy. And she seems happy to me. Eventually, she started eating. And I think a lot of parents with kids with disabilities would also understand that, you know, she took so long to do anything at all, like be able to lift her arms so that when she was able to, it's like so exciting. It just makes all those moments so much more thrilling. She picks up a fork and I like start to cry because she's had to work so hard to do all these things because of the hypotonia and the muscle weakness. It's just a really amazing thing to watch. So anyways, she's almost a year old and and suddenly she starts growing really fast off the charts. And something about trisomy 14 is that you're generally small. Like people that have had it are very, very small. So we're kind of like, what is happening? Like, are we missing something? And we actually pushed the geneticist to do further testing because we felt like there was more to it. And we were right. She, She had Soto syndrome. And again, you know, We kind of almost went through the whole process of discovering it and acceptance again. I was actually kind of relieved because I felt like there's so many more people with SOTOS, even though it is very rare. You know, I immediately joined this Facebook group for SOTOS syndrome and all these kids kind of look like Dahlia. And it was just so nice to have a community and like see the potential of how she could be and just know more about it. There's a very wide spectrum of outcomes. You can be anywhere from just really tall and kind of odd and not great at coordination and this or that to like not able to feed or or anything. So, I mean, I'm just like so grateful 
every day just to have her be able to do anything. You know, we, we have like a toy set where she plays with groceries and I'm like, she could bag groceries right now. And she's only two and a half. <laughs> so like, I feel good about her future. And uh, I've never been the kind of person to sort of like measure success in life by the typical, you know, like money, power, whatever. So I'm, I'm happy if she's happy and is able to enjoy life and, and she seems happy and can enjoy life. So, you know, we're just doing our thing. Yeah. I mean, you've got something that is what my mentor Magda Gerber used to recommend to every parent, which is enjoy what your child is doing. Enjoy what they're doing right now instead of focusing on trying to get them to do more or different. Embrace the child you have because the messages that you give your child by doing that, and it sounds like you do it naturally, are just so healing and empowering and confidence building. You know, it actually helps for them to do more because they they don't feel that stress coming from you around it. They don't feel that pressure coming from us as parents. Yeah. And that's definitely how I was raised. You know, I kind of like come from a family of people with delays. <laughs> like I, I walk late, I talk late. And my parents just weren't worried. They were like, oh, you know, she's like observing. And um I, you know, I, I walk now <laughs> and I came around. So I had like high hopes to not be really fixated on those sort of things uh, when my daughter was born. Of course, after we joined early intervention, I have like three specialists today coming in every day to tell me, you know, what she should be doing at any given moment. So the pressure is, is always on, but I try to take it in stride because I know that people can be capable uh, of so many things, even if they get a, a slow start or uh, have crazy diagnoses or syndromes. Yeah, it sounds like you're kind of compartmentalizing that they're just doing their job, which is to say, you know, this is what we want to happen. But that doesn't mean that you have to embrace that attitude. Yeah, we try to do everything we possibly can to help her reach her potential. So, you know, therapies all day, every day. I do them with her almost always. I've been really lucky. My employer has been flexible with my time. And just kind of like going with her and celebrating the little milestones that she makes. Well, I mean, what you're sharing in every way is so amazing. I, I told you also that I love your Instagram series on children, bonding with different objects, holding on to certain random objects. And some of them are so, so fun. And you got submissions from all these people, right? Yeah, people have just been responding with their own stories and they're all so cute and funny. I just I'm just saving them all up and gonna keep sharing them. Dahlia, like if you give her like a new object, like I remember the first time she got a kiwi, she has a huge smile on her face. She was like so excited and carried it around for a day. Kids are funny. Yeah, I mean they see the beauty in things. They see the specialness yeah. in things that we just don't. And the way that you were able to find humor and help people find humor in a way that's so delighting in children, the fondness for them that comes through that instead of that really common way to laugh about children that's not respectful, that's laughing at them for having strong feelings about things that we wouldn't have strong feelings about and like being upset or, you know, laughing because we're doing silly things to them to get a reaction. And uh, people that know me know I'm very against that stuff. And I'm told I have no sense of humor when I say that that's not okay. 
But what you're doing is, to me, the opposite. It's delighting in children. It's, you know, seeing ourselves in them. And I think anything that helps us to relate and see the humor and that kind of adoring laughter around them is... Yeah, it's it's so important to, like, um, laugh with your child and not at them. So I have, like, a really clear memory from when I was a little kid. We were, like, at a, the nursery at the hospital my dad was working there. And one of the nurses was showing me the baby. And I thought she was offering me the baby to hold. So I like put my arms out and she laughed so hard. (laughs) And I was so embarrassed. And I remember feeling humiliated. And like, in retrospect, she probably just thought was really cute and was laughing. But I think about that. And I like, I try to make sure that when I laugh at what Dolly is doing, it's more like with her and appreciating her. And I I tell her that so I'm not, you know, making fun of her because they really, they, they get it, you know, they'll, they'll understand if you tell them. They feel what you're seeing in them. Like, it sounds like all along that you have seen her as a capable person with these disabilities. Everything I've seen you post shows that you see her that way. So that's what she feels. That's what she feels about herself, that she is a person who's capable and could do things and she's just going to keep trying and not that you're pitying her or feeling like she can't do anything and you've got to do it all for her. And that outlook is just invaluable. Totally. I've always felt like she's a, you know, a little person and I respect her. And I talk to her the way I would talk to a friend that I respect. It's so important to treat your kids with respect and they still, you know, then they become little respectable humans. Yeah, and you always hold the space for her to show you that, you know, that she can do things and that she's, I don't know, it's hard for me to explain in words what comes across from you in the way that you see her and your relationship with her. But but that's really what I was so struck with that made me want to have you here to share with us or just for me to spend time with you, to be honest. Um, Thank you. When I talked to Humans of New York, I did not, I did not expect the huge reaction that I got at all. (laughs) I was just kind of like telling our story and I was so happy to share it. So many parents with kids with disabilities reached out to me to say it's hard for them to put into words why people shouldn't feel sorry for them or this or that. And like they, they felt like I expressed it. And it's something they can point to. It was just like so meaningful. I I didn't realize that it would be so helpful. (laughs) So I'm really glad. I'm just really glad it all worked out like that. Yeah, it absolutely is helpful. And this part where you said, everything in my life just makes it seem like I was meant for this child. That acceptance that you have of her, you know, that's where everything stems from for a child. That we want the child we have. We accept the child we have. And it's not easy. For most of us, maybe it's easier for you, but parents struggle with that. No matter what the issues are with their child, they could be a very typically developing child that just has personality issues that the parent is not happy with, maybe because it, it's showing them something about themselves. True. Yeah. You know, I, I think people have like a natural level of optimism and acceptance, and I've, I've been lucky to be sort of that way. <laughs> My like wedding uh, my dad was talking about how, like, you know, I could take care of a pet rock. I don't know. I love people and things. And, like, I knew I would I would love whatever my child is like. But then meeting her in person really, really drove it home, how everything it just makes sense. And that is the formula for happiness as a parent, that you accept and actually genuinely enjoy your child for who they are. 
and that we you know feel that way about ourselves too, which maybe has to come first. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe you can go the other way that our child inspires us to accept ourselves more. Yeah. Um, you know, we've just been talking on my Instagram page about body positivity and, you know, how we show that to our kids and then they can take it in to themselves. And I know a lot of moms have been commenting that they accepted themselves more after having a child because, you know, you see yourself through their eyes and like, you know, my daughter doesn't think that my pants are making me look <laughs> bad or this or that. Like she just wants to hug me and, you know, I'm like her squishy warm mom. All the body stuff sort of can get very minimized in the process of becoming a mom. Yeah. I think you're talking about what children teach us that things that we thought maybe mattered don't matter at all. And then you've got this book. Um, did you, you had another book before this newest one? Uh, yes, I have um, a couple baby books, Feminist Baby, my first baby board book. It's about a feminist baby. Was that before you came out? It is. It? And um, I, can tell you, I can tell you how I thought of it because it was like a very specific moment in time. Also, I was looking for a, a baby shower present for my friend and I went to Barnes and Noble and I was like, oh, where's the feminism for baby section. <laughs> they were like, that's not a thing. And I was like, oh my God. So I just, I literally ran home and drew it and wrote it like within a few hours. I was so excited. Um, oh, cool. I want to see that. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, other than A is for Activists, which is an amazing book. It's, it's the first like feminist focused baby book ever, which I'm really proud of. And a lot of people also were looking for that because it did pretty well. And then you've got this book called It Had to Be You, and yeah. it's about your experience with your daughter, right? Yeah, it's so many things, you know, not just the journey of meeting her and how, you know, unique she is <laughs> and how it felt like it had to be her, but even, you know, the process to getting pregnant, we had infertility issues, I had a miscarriage, and it's just like such a long journey to parenthood sometimes, and the way you meet your child and getting to know them and realizing that it's like so meant to be is, is what inspired it. And uh, I actually, I, I wrote it like shortly after she, she started taking a few steps and I was just feeling really inspired and amazed. You know, we worked so hard to get her to be able to do that. And because you were told she might not, right? Oh she yeah. Um, <laughs> I love her therapist. I genuinely think of them as like angels sent to earth to help her. They've just been like helping us all through the way. But when she was really little and we were trying to get her to crawl, you know, we were very worried. Parents would be like, you think she'll walk? They'd be like, uh, um, well, you know, I've seen miracles happen, so it's possible. And I was like, that is not what I wanted to hear, but you know, I guess better than having too high expectations. Uh, but yeah, we didn't know. So then you were surprised when she actually did it on her own or? Yeah. Um, the process to getting her to crawl was excruciating in a lot of ways, you know, therapy, it's really hard work for the babies and, you know, she'd be crying and, um, you know, we're really just holding her in positions. They're not like painful positions. It's just a position she doesn't want to be in, you know, her arms don't really like go that direction, but just like holding her arm gently in a position where she'd be like screaming. And, um, you know, we kept having, having to do it until, you know, it got more comfortable. So just in small doses and yeah, small doses every day. Of course, like once she's able to start doing things, she's so much happier, but the process is, it's so exhausting. I didn't know if she was going to crawl. I couldn't 
it was really hard to get her even into that like doggy position. But, you know, little by little, it's like I see my friends, they post on Instagram, woke up and my kids crawling today or like looked over and my kids standing up. And I'm like, wow, like, what does that feel like? A lot of the um, getting Dahlia to crawl and walk was with snacks. Like I'd have like a little, I have like a fanny pack with Cheerios in it. And I'd be like, if you can get to me, here's a Cheerio, which is not something I ever wanted to do as a parent. And um, it, to me seemed like maybe some sort of food issues would come up, but it was the best thing to get her moving. And, and she doesn't seem to have food issues now. Uh, she was really little, a lot little when that happened. Yeah, I think if you're just using it for those kind of things, you're not bribing her to be nice to you or anything or like, you know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> very different experience. Very different. But yeah, I mean, we also see our children struggling to gain those motor skills, but it's like nothing compared to the struggle that Dahlia's had to endure, you know. But the children... I mean, it's not that they want to be uncomfortable, but they want to push through. And sometimes there is struggle involved. But also they don't expect life to be easy. They come in expecting whatever happens, you know, and then that teaches them what to expect. And they can really inspire that way that they they keep going and um, keep trying. And her therapists were like so helpful with that. We're so lucky, like her physical therapist is a very strong person. <laughs> you know, it was really hard for me as a mom to see her struggle, hear her crying. And she would just, you know, be like, this is good for her. I promise this is normal. This is what happens when we do physical therapy. And I would just, a lot of times I would just have to, you know, hide <laughs> during the sessions because I just like couldn't handle seeing her struggle. Yeah. yeah, you adore her. It's clear, like you're totally smitten with her. And it's funny, she she's like done so much physical therapy and all this stuff growing up that she like loves working out now. <laughs> and anytime she sees anyone working out anywhere, she goes over and tries to mimic what they're doing. Like she loves little classes and exercises. And um, it's just like a part of her nature because she's so used to having to work out, you know, a bunch of times a day. What's most challenging right now? Um, most challenging, you know, we, we just got through a bunch of health scares that were different than what we were used to, which is more like neurological, you know, motor skills and this sort of stuff. It was like, you know, um, she had TEC, which is she wasn't making hemoglobin on her own. And I did find those like health scares and struggles a lot more difficult to deal with than uh, what we've dealt with before we're always worried like something's going to come up because she has such unusual genetic makeup and we don't really know what to expect. But other than that, she's doing great. She's making oxygen again herself. So we're really happy. And um, I think the, the, the health stuff is so much scarier. You know, even if she wasn't able to walk, as long as, you know, seems like she's feeling good, that would, that would be fine. But health danger is really scary. Of course. Yeah. You know, this is this good with this bad. I think a good microcosm I could relate it to I was thinking about this is like when you get a cold, I always forget what a cold feels like until I have one. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the worst. I should really appreciate it more when I'm feeling healthy. And parenting a child with disabilities or health problems, it's kind of like that. Like when she's feeling good, those days are so much more meaningful and happy and exciting. Like I'm just over the moon just to, you know, walk with her smiling. It just amplifies everything. The gratitude. Yeah, the gratitude is huge. Well, I'll be thinking good thoughts for you, and I hope we do keep in touch. And and just I'm reminded of, I think, my favorite part of your book. You say at the end, um, for every one of our wishes, for every bump along the way, you know, now that you're here, we've known all along it had to be you. 
I love that you acknowledge that it's not easy um, yeah. and there are bumps and it's not just all this like perfect magical. Yeah. It had to be this, you know, whatever this is, it had to be this, it had to be you. Yeah. And it had to be the bumps. Those were, were part of it, not something to forget or put away or see as something we should feel bad about, you know? Exactly. You know, my dad is one of my heroes and um, I always thought of his Tourette's as like almost like a good thing. I just think it's amazing. I, you know, it's really hard on him in a lot of ways and it's hard in society. Like people give him looks and stuff when we're walking, but just everything he's overcome and the way he is, it's just like kind of how I see Dahlia. Like I, I see her disabilities and her uniqueness as part of what makes her so amazing and special. And, you know, anything she does is going to be even more amazing because of everything she's had to go through to get there. Wow. All right. You're going to leave me in tears <laughs> of gratitude for you. And yeah, just the beauty of you. So you take care of your beautiful family. I know you will. And it sounds like you're all really blessed to have each other. But thank you so much for being here to talk to me today. Thank you so much for having me. Please check out some of the other podcasts on my website, JanetLansbury.com. And both of my books are available in paperback at Amazon, No Bad Kids, Toddler Discipline Without Shame, and Elevating Child Care, A Guide to Respectful Parenting. You can get them in ebook at Amazon, Apple, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com, and in audio at audible.com. Actually, you can get a free audio copy of either book at Audible by following the link in the liner notes of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening and all your kind support. We can do this. If you like Unruffled, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.